Welcome to Texas Ag Today, a daily look at the latest news in Texas agriculture. Texas Ag Today is produced by the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network with the largest farm news team in the Lone Star State. Now here's the host of Texas Ag Today, Carrie Martin. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Texas Ag Today. I'm your host, Kerry Martin, standing by with the largest and most experienced farm news team in the Lone Star State. And we're here to bring you the latest news in Texas agriculture. Texas wheat yields and production were both down this year. I'm Jessica Dolmel, and I'll have that story coming up. Autumn La Nina forecast for Texas and the Southwest. I'm Tom Nicoletti, and I'll have that story on Texas Ag Today. Livestock haulers could see some relief from hours of service rules and a new bill introduced in Congress. I'm Gary Joyner, and I'll have that story coming up on Texas Ag Today. We'll have those stories, plus the latest news from Washington, Texas wildlife news, and a complete look at the markets all coming up. But first, here's a look at news headlines. Weaning calves correctly is good for both the animal and the pocketbook. That was the message from Texas A&M Livestock Specialist Ron Gill at the recent Texas and Southwestern Cattle Raisers Association's virtual convention. It costs the industry somewhere close to a billion dollars a year in lost production, and that's either through uh, expense of antibiotics, uh, whether or not we have a loss in production, cattle that get sick don't ever grade, or... Um, perform as well as those that don't get sick. And so it just affects a lot of things downstream. Gill says we have better antibiotics, better genetics, better management, and better nutrition. And yet we still have more sickness than we did years ago. And Gill believes it all boils down to one factor when preventing sickness in weaned calves, and that's eliminating stress on the animal. Cotton harvest is finally getting underway in the Texas Panhandle. Scott Sonnenberg is with Ag Producers Co-op Cotton Gin in Hansford County. He says the big wind event back in June, combined with a September cold snap, has caused the cotton crop to be in several stages of development. Oh, you're right. The cotton's all over the place. I believe that was June 9th, that Tuesday, and then basically 90 days later we got down to about 37, 36 degrees early September. Definitely we didn't want to see that, but we can't control what happens with Mother Nature. We can just kind of control what we can and keep going forward. I think for the most part, it seems like the cotton's still maturing. Some of the top crop, smaller bowls, they went kind of mushy after that. So the plant rerouted its energy to some more bigger bowls, little harder bowls to keep filling them out. So I'm still pretty optimistic, but I'm kind of that optimistic kind of guy anyway. So. And after a brutal weather year, there's still some very good cotton to be harvested in that area. There's definitely some really, really good cotton around the area. There's just no doubt about it. We've had, I don't know, there's been a lot of acres that have already been prepped with bowl opener and leaf drop. All those guys that have done that, their cotton was mature. We've had the heat units. I don't remember the last time I looked, but we're sitting about 23, 2400 on the heat units, which we need to get at least 2,000 heat units for the cotton crop. So really, we're pretty far along on the maturity of the cotton. Obviously, if that early September cold day hadn't hit and then 
we'd have stayed warm, we'd be ginning cotton today. It would have just kept maturing. I mean, we're moving along pretty good on the cotton crop, considering all the <laughs> factors this crop's had on it. So really, I expect to have a pretty good quality cotton crop, and I expect some yields to be really good, for sure. Sonnenberg says they should be ginning cotton this weekend. Texas wheat yields and production were both down this year. Jessica Domel takes a look at the latest estimates for both wheat and oat production. Texas farmers produced 6.5 million bushels of wheat this year, according to a new report from the U.S. Department of Agriculture. That's down nearly 10 million bushels from last year, but it is 5.5 million bushels higher than 2018. Statewide yields average about 30 bushels an acre. That's four below 2019. Around 2 million acres were harvested for grain. That's down 2%. Nearly 8 million bushels of oats were or will be grown in Texas this year. Statewide yields are expected to average 45 bushels an acre. That's down 5 bushels an acre from last year. About 60,000 acres of oats were or will be harvested for grain this year. That's up 20,000 from 2019. For the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, I'm Jessica Dolmel. An autumn La Nina is forecast for Texas. Tom Nicoletti talks with a Fort Worth meteorologist about what we can expect from the weather this fall. Today we go to Fort Worth and Tom Bradshaw, meteorologist with the National Weather Service, is uh, my guest as we talk about uh, the forecast for the month of October. But first, Tom, let's recap quickly September. Well, it's good to talk with you again, Tom. And uh, September did feature some generous rainfall uh, amounts for a good part of Texas, basically the eastern two-thirds of the Lone Star State. We saw rainfall amounts anywhere from oh, 5 to 10 inches across uh, almost all of the, the eastern and central parts of the state. And that was really caused by a couple of different things. The first was a couple of very strong storm systems that swept uh, across the state in early September, brought some very heavy rainfall amounts to the DFW Metroplex and down in the Austin area. And then later on in the month, we did have a tropical system by the name of Beta which formed off the southeast Texas coast. And while that storm only reached you know, moderate tropical storm strength, it did produce a, a number of inches of rainfall across the uh, southeastern parts of Texas, basically from Corpus Christi up to Houston. The rainfall amounts anywhere from 5 to 10 inches. Unfortunately, the far west, the Panhandle, the South Plains, the areas, the Trans-Pecos area, they're still high and dry. Very little rainfall fell during the month of September. And those folks are really starting to face some significant drought situations as we go uh, deeper into fall. Now, as we go into October, Tom, farmers and ranchers have a lot of uh, autumn activities, uh, some planting, uh, grazing of cattle and so forth. And then uh, the urban residents looking for a cooler fall in Texas. Uh, what's the forecast, uh, both temperature wise and precipitation wise? Well, certainly as we get into the, the month of October, we start seeing uh, more of these strong cold fronts uh, sliding southward through the plains, moving through the entire state of Texas. And that's certainly good news for folks who want to have their windows open at night and, and enjoy some cool temperatures in the early morning hours. Overall, however, it does look like temperatures are going to be at or just above normal, uh, particularly for daytime highs. So we'll still, still see quite a few 80s and even some 90s across parts of the state as we go through at least the first half of October. Uh, but at least morning lows will start getting down into some of the cooler regimes, uh, you know, some of the um, 50s and, and, and lower 60s in the south and, and even some 40s as we get into the panhandle and the far western plains. 
as far as rainfall is concerned, that's that's kind of a different picture. We're starting to develop a La Nina pattern across uh, the western United States, and what a La Nina pattern means for Texas is generally warm and uh, markedly drier conditions than normal. So that's going to tend to exacerbate the drought conditions in the far western parts of the state, and even the remainder of central and eastern Texas will probably see rainfall amounts uh, somewhat lower than what we normally see for the month of October. So dry and, and relatively warm is going to be the word for pretty much the entire Lone Star State for October. And October is still a uh, tropical season month, uh, although uh, quickly winding down, but people still need to be on guard for that. That again is Tom Bradshaw. He is National Weather Service Meteorologist in Fort Worth. I'm Tom Nicoletti with the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. The grain markets took a big jump this week when USDA released its September 1st grain stocks and small grains summary reports. Those reports showing lower stocks of corn, soybeans, and wheat. Joe Vaklovic, president and founder of Standard Grain in Nashville, says those lower numbers caught traders by surprise, especially in corn. This is corn stocks as of September 1st, which are essentially your old crop ending stocks. The number came in at 1.995 billion bushels. The average trade guess was 2.25 billion bushels. The number in reality was 255 million bushels below the average trade guess. And what that means for us right now is that we are going to have a much lighter beginning stocks number on this new crop balance sheet. So in that last report, you know, USDA is projecting the new crop corn carryout for the U.S. at two and a half billion. It's not two and a half billion anymore because they just cut 255 million off of it. The old crop ending stocks turned into new crop beginning stocks. It's all tied together. So that's a fairly significant shift. The wheat stocks numbers also dropped, but by a smaller margin. Wheat stocks were marginally below expectations by 84 million bushels. The trade expected 2.2 billion. They came in at 2.158, so 84 million bushels difference. It'll help to knock this extraordinarily burdensome U.S. supply and demand situation down a little bit, but it doesn't change the dynamic your grand scheme of things, in my opinion. Baklovich says those grain stocks do tend to be surprising, and this one was no different. Anytime you chop 250 million bushels off the corn balance sheet, 53 million off the beans, 84 million off the wheat, that's a surprise. That is not what was expected. I think it actually helped the market's cause when it goes across the board rather than just in one commodity. I think it helped to accelerate buying interest, perhaps among large speculators. They look at the entire complex and say the market was wrong about this entire thing. So we have the green light here to go ahead and buy any of it. That's Joe Vaklovic with Standard Grain in Nashville. Livestock haulers could see some relief from hours of service rules in a new bill introduced in Congress. Gary Joyner reports. Livestock groups this week applauded the introduction of legislation that would provide livestock haulers flexibility and critical relief from hours of service rules. Senator Deb Fisher, a Nebraska Republican, introduced the Haulers of Agriculture and Livestock Safety, or HALS Act. The legislation would add a 150 air mile exemption to hours of service regulations to the back end of hauls for those transporting livestock or agricultural commodities. The bill also eliminates the seasonal harvest requirements for the agriculture hours of service exemption, making the exemption available year-round in all states. I'm Gary Joyner on the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. Archery-only season kicks off in Texas Saturday. I'm Jessica Dommel, and I'll have that story on Texas Ag Today. 
and horses can commonly exhibit hair loss in various areas. Texas veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd takes a look at what could cause that hair loss coming up next on Texas Ag Today. In Texas, there's pea-sized hail and baseball-sized hail. Guess which one hit our house? We didn't even know where to begin, but we called our Texas Farm Bureau insurance agent, and he was so reassuring. He knew exactly what to do to get our house back into shape and our lives back to normal. Now, we're even more thankful for the roof over our heads. Visit Texas Farm Bureau Insurance today at tfbinsurance.com to insure your home for Texas-sized weather. Coverage and discounts are subject to qualifications and policy terms and may vary by situation. You're listening to the latest news in Texas agriculture on Texas Ag Today. Horses can commonly exhibit hair loss in various areas. Veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd takes a look at what could cause that. Hair loss and skin disease in horses can be caused by multiple conditions. One of the most common conditions we see is called scratches. And this condition is commonly found on the rear legs at the front or dorsal part of the cannon bone. These horses will have hair loss in some instances and scabs on the skin that are very painful to remove. Some horses will also have swelling of the legs in this area and inflammation down around the pastern area. There are many different causes of this condition, and I believe a lot of the horses in Central Texas develop this lesion secondary to allergy or flies affecting the lower legs. It may also be related to irritation from horses walking through tall grass or weeds but something has to irritate the area to start the process, and then infection develops. The infection may be bacterial or fungal, and scabs form with infection under the scabs. Regardless of the cause, treatment involves clipping of the hair off of the legs and removing the scabs. This can be painful, and in many cases requires your veterinarian to sedate the horse, and then use a shampoo containing chlorhexidine to soak the scabs off and gently remove them. In recurring cases, your vet may need to culture the area to determine the bacterial organism present and which antibiotic to use, as well as doing a microscopic exam of the tissue and fungal testing. After the scabs are removed, treating with an antibacterial, antifungal, and anti-inflammatory cream is usually effective. Some cases will require the use of fly ointment also to control flies in the area, and those with deeper infections and swelling of the legs may require oral antibiotics plus wrapping the legs temporarily. I'm Dr. Bob Judd. This is the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. Archery-only season kicks off this weekend in Texas. Jessica Domel has more on the 2020 archery season in today's Wildlife Report. It is time to get your archery and crossbow equipment ready. The archery-only season for white-tailed deer, mule deer, and wild turkey kicks off in Texas Saturday, October 3rd. According to the Texas Parks and Wildlife Department, expectations are high for white-tailed deer hunters thanks to recent rains, mild temperatures, and reported deer movements. Alan Kane, TPWD's white-tailed deer program leader, said recent rains have led to a flush of new growth on preferred native forages that should set the stage for good winter weed production, which is critical for deer late in the season. He said hunters and landowners have been seeing exceptional antler quality on deer cameras. Hunters are encouraged to be mindful of chronic wasting, disease containment, and surveillance zones when hunting, as some additional steps may be required. 
Zones and check stations are located in Kimball County, the Trans-Pecos region, South Central Texas, the Panhandle, and Valverde County. A list of the zones is available on the TPWD website and on OutdoorAnnual.com. Hunters must have a hunting license and archery endorsement. Archery season for white-tailed deer runs through November 6th. The general season opens November 7th. In Texas, there are 59 counties with an archery season for mule deer and 149 of Texas' 254 counties have an archery-only wild turkey season. Archers are encouraged to consult the Outdoor Annual to ensure their county is listed before hunting. The Outdoor Annual also details the archery and crossbow equipment that is allowed during this time. The publication has not been printed this year. It is available on OutdoorAnnual.com and on the Outdoor Annual app for smartphones and tablets. For the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, I'm Jessica Dommel. We saw a lower close in the cattle futures market, but the cash-fed cattle market picked up in a big way this week, moving $3 higher. We'll take a look at all of the closing livestock, grain, cotton, energy, and financial markets all coming up next on Texas Ag Today. And we're back looking at another lopsided matchup, Jim. Today we have a combine taking on a train. Yeah, that heavy train is about a thousand times heavier than the combine. No competition there. Right, especially given that it'll take at least a mile to stop that train. That's 18 football fields. It's no contest. Every day people are injured or killed trying to beat a train at rail crossings. See tracks, think train. This message brought to you by Operation Lifesaver. We're keeping you informed on everything happening in Texas agriculture on Texas Ag Today. Well, we wrapped up the trading day with a lower close in the cattle futures market, both live and feeder cattle closing in the red. October live cattle down two, 108.52. The December down 52, 111.82. February down 40 cents, 115.47. October feeder cattle down 42 cents at 140.92. November feeders down 80, 141.25. January feeder cattle down 75 at 139.55. Now let's move over to the cash markets. We'll start with fed cattle where we saw some active trade late Wednesday and throughout the day on Thursday. That trade was active at higher money. Texas and Kansas cattle selling for 107. That is, of course, three bucks higher than we saw last week. As you move into the Midwest, Iowa sold cattle on a live basis at 108, dressed cattle at 168. That, again, $3 higher than what they saw last week. So definitely a strong move to the upside on cash-fed cattle this week. Boxed beef prices higher, choice up 84 cents to 18.58, select up 89 at 208.43. Now let's look at feeder cattle. A couple of feeder cattle auctions across Texas. We saw Pearsall Livestock Auction sell 1,065 head this week. The trend was steady to higher. Two to three weight steers brought $1.50 to $1.80 a pound. Three to 400 pounders $1.45 to $1.75. Four to five weight steers brought $1.30 to $1.60. Five to 600 pounders $1.10 to $1.40 a pound. With six to seven hundred pound steers bringing one oh five to a dollar thirty five a pound. Slaughter cows twenty eight to fifty six cents. Slaughter bulls fifty two to eighty. 
Stocker cows, $710 to $1,000 a head. Gillespie Livestock Company in Fredericksburg sold 1,211 head. The trend was steady to lower. Two to three weight steers, $1.50 to $2 a pound. Three to four weights, $1.45 to $2.07. Four to 500 pounders, $1.40 to $1.80. Five to six weight steers, $1.25 to $1.55. Six to seven weights, $1.20 to $1.36. With seven to eight weight steers bringing a dollar twenty to a dollar thirty-one a pound, slaughter cows forty-five to sixty-one cents, slaughter bulls eighty to eighty-eight cents, stocker cows six hundred to eleven hundred a head, cow-calf pairs a thousand to fifteen hundred a pair. Now let's step back over to the futures board where lean hogs close the day mixed. October lean hogs up a dollar thirty-five. 74.15, December down 25 cents, 62.85. Class 3 milk closed higher, the October up 50 cents at 20.03 a hundredweight. November milk up 49, 19.12 a hundred. The cotton market closed slightly lower in a fairly quiet, low-volume trade. Just not a whole lot of news to move the market right now. Of course, as we get into this harvest season, harvest starting to pick up across the cotton belt, that will definitely give traders something to keep an eye on. We close with December cotton up 12 points, 65.91. March up 16 at 66.70. Kansas City wheat took a bit of a breather after moving about 30 cents higher on Wednesday. We ended up closing slightly lower. December wheat down three and a quarter, 506 and a half. New crop July wheat down two and three quarters, 527 and a half. However, the corn market, it didn't take a breather. It continued higher. December corn up three and three quarters, closing at 382 and three quarters. In the energy markets, we saw mostly lower prices. November natural gas down a penny, 251. November crude oil down a dollar 47, 3875 a barrel. And finally in the financials, the Dow Jones Industrial Average down 46 points, 27,734. The S&P up 8, 3371. The Nasdaq up 129 at 11,297. Well, that wraps up our look at the markets, and that wraps up this edition of Texas Ag Today. Thanks so much for joining us. We'll be right back here next time, bringing you all the latest news in Texas agriculture. I'm Kerry Martin. See you next time right here on Texas Ag Today. Thanks for listening to Texas Ag Today. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. For more Texas Ag news and information, check out our website at texasfarmbureau.org or tfbradio.com. Texas Ag Today is a production of the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network.